Hour two of Canuck Central, brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. It is Satyar Shaw with Brendan Batchelor. Don Taylor is coming up uh, in a couple of minutes, and coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk to Dylan Griffin from EP Ringside, who's been scouting Andre Kuzmenko and had a good piece on him to get into the type of player he is in detail. Coming up in a bit, and if you missed the first hour of the show. You do want to make sure to go check it out on the podcast. Uh, Batch and I got into the Kuzmenko signing, what this means for the Canucks, what may happen next. And we had Frank Saravalli on to talk about the latest when it comes to what else the Canucks might be doing off the ice as well. But Batch, we continue the conversation with Don Taylor coming up in a minute. And, you know, I will say the thing that's been kind of cool about today, though, has been the jubilation from the fan base. And, and I see people texting and saying, hey, don't get too hyped on Kuzmenko and this sort of this thing and that thing. And I get it. I mean, you shouldn't expect this guy to be a world beater. He may not even be here the whole season. Who knows what how it turns out. But to what we talked about in the first hour, the fact that Canucks were able to land a big sought-after free agent with this new front office, I think it gave the fan base, a, an infusion of optimism about what may happen in the future. Yeah, and this is something that Frank Saravelli talked about last hour. If you missed the interview, go back and catch it on the podcast where he talked about, you know, one of the biggest pluses for the Canucks with a signing like this and winning a sweepstakes like this is just the confidence within the market in this new management group. And, you know, to hear Frank talk about the fact that Patrick Alvin was already on his phone, uh, you know, laying the groundwork for this Kuzmenko signing before he'd even been publicly announced as the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you know, shows, first of all, uh, the commitment that they had to this player from the start. But, you know, it, it gives your fan base confidence that, your general manager has a plan and had a plan coming in and is doing work to execute that plan. And, you know, whenever whenever you have a signing like this, it's something worth celebrating in your fan base, regardless of whether Kuzmenko goes on to, uh, you know, be a tremendous player for this group for a long time or not. Uh, it's a, a low-risk, potentially high-reward signing, and the fact that the Canucks were able to close the deal is a very good sign. Well, to get into it more, let's welcome in Don Taylor into the conversation. You can check him out Monday to Friday. Donnie and Dolly, the team, on Check TV, 10 a.m. to noon. And Donnie, uh, always a pleasure getting you on the show, and some exciting news today. The Canucks make a signing. How optimistic should Canucks fans be about them coming out atop the Kuzmenko sweepstakes? Well, um, first of all, you knew it was going to be a big day today in, in uh, Vancouver sports because uh, we we had the day off today. <laughs> it's always how it goes. Riccio's not here either, so there you go. That, that's right. That's the first sign, you know, that things are going to do uh, well. When I was working, or, or things were going to be, uh, uh, it was going to be a big news day. When I was working with Pratt, I swear to God, every day he took off, it, something big happened. Yeah, like every every single time. Nothing against Dave. It's just kind of it. Be we talked about it too. It was it was pretty funny. Um, yeah, uh, you know, automatically my mind goes to well, goes one of two ways. Artemi Panarin, that did happen, and you know he was uh, undrafted, free agent from the K, same team, if I'm not mistaken, St. Petersburg. So that worked out fairly well, even though you know the team that signed him ultimately didn't. Uh, uh, you know, reap the rewards for a long, long time. I'm talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. And then the other the other uh, guy that comes to mind, the other player that comes to mind, 
at the other end of the scale is Fabian Brunstrom and, you know, the massive disappointment in Canuck land when, you know, Dave Notice's pursuit of Fabian Brunstrom didn't work out. He ended up with Dallas and had a hat trick in his first NHL game. And that uh, was e- easily unquestionably the peak of his career. Now tap it out after that. So is he Brunstrom? Is he Panarin? Is he somewhere in the middle? My guess would be the third is that uh, he's somewhere in the middle. I just, you know, I, I just, I would have a hard time believing that that NHL teams would miss out on somebody like Panarin. I know there are, there are all sorts of hoops and barrels you have to go through uh, with the K and with with Russian players, but at at 26, I have a hard time believing he'd be another Panarin. But I also just just reading the scouting reports today and looking at his numbers, I have a hard time believing that uh, he's going to be another Brunstrom. So hey, you guys just nailed it. Like a low risk move, you, you got to take that chance at the stage they're in right now. I like it. Well, yeah, and that's the biggest takeaway from this whole thing for me, Donnie, is regardless of whether Kuzmenko uh, is the second coming of Artemi Panarin or whether he completely flames out and only plays a handful of NHL games, you know, the process behind this move is what you want to see from your organization. The fact that it's a low-risk, potentially high-reward signing, another good piece of business for this management group. Well, I heard you guys talking earlier today, and I, I couldn't agree more. I usually disagree with everything you guys say, but uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more that you know there was twenty teams we we heard you know through Rick Dollywall and his agent connections. There were some twenty plus teams uh, who wanted this guy, or at least looked into signing uh, signing him. And what you were talking about was, and Mike Gillis used to bring this all the time. That's you know how can we make this the best possible atmosphere for players. And that includes things like the plane, the locker room. Uh, obviously, winning versus losing—that's that's big there. But how you're just just treated in general, um, you know, how you how, how housing is set up for the players, things like that. And and also, what you guys talked about is how there, there'd be no shortage of fans and members of the media who roll their eyes at things like that and go, "Oh my God, you're pampering these babies." But the reality is, guys, they live in a different world, mm-hmm. and and they do compare. You know, the, and the, in this different world, Vancouver gets compared to Detroit, uh, L.A. gets compared to Montreal. It just does. That's the way it is. And what if you can make your world better for uh, your town, your organization better for these players, pampered or not? Then you're going to get them. You're going to get them to sign and, and or get them to stay for a long, long time and make them comfortable. And maybe you win. That's just the way it is. That's the way it is in that in that world. We can't relate to it. We roll our eyes at it. Some for some people, it makes them sick. But that that's the way it goes. And and if you want those players, that's what you have to do on top of paying them well. Well, and you know, Donnie, and like in any relationship, and you would know this a lot better than, than I would because you've been very successful in your relationship and, and the family and all that sort of stuff. But the details matter, right? It's the details that do matter for things to work out well. Like something very small, for instance, um, a player just gets signed. They're coming into a new market. They're trying to figure stuff out. Are you are you picking up the, the family from the airport? Do you have something figured out for them? Do you have somebody coming in and getting them settled in? And I'm not saying they didn't do these sort of things, but there are stuff, things like that, or something happens to a player, we're out there taking care of the family. We have this set up for you. I mean, it's small little things, but those are the types of things that I think this organization wasn't paying as much focus and attention to, or maybe they didn't have the budget for potentially the past few years. And now we see a person like Emily Castongay worked 
as a player agent, understands how players feel, the things they look out for, what matters for them, and all those sort of things. And I can't help but think that now they kind of have an advantage in trying to bring that reputation back because we heard from former players. I know Kevin Bieksa talked about this. He said there wasn't a place better to play than Vancouver, and the reputation was fantastic around the league, and that's kind of waned the past few years. And maybe this is the the start of bringing that back again. Yeah, you, you hope so. And, you know, people can rip into Mike all they want. Mike, Mike Gillis, and, you know, we've taken our shots at him on our, on our show, but he he did understand that culture the way Emily does. You know, like like her, he, he he's a former agent, so he understands that. And what I think people like that understand that, you know, that maybe we don't, that we definitely don't, is that it's not just about that player. It's It's about what that player tells other players on other teams and, you know, in other countries, what, what, what happens with other agents, the word gets around about how players get treated big paycheck or not. So it's not just about that player. It's also, uh, you know, about the other players that you might get down the road. If you treat your player as well with, like you say, Sap, those little things. Well, and the other thing that's so huge about this signing in particular, Donnie, and, you know, I heard Drancer talking about this on our airwaves earlier today is, you know, not only is it great for the Canucks to win this sweep stakes, but they might have been the team that needed a win like this the most when you look at their prospect cupboards and how relatively bare they are right now in terms of forwards pushing up from underneath, you know, you don't really have anyone. We're not talking about, you know, a, an upstart young prospect, you know, knocking down the doors and, and making the Canucks out of training camp this year just because they don't really have any of those pieces right now. Now, you know, the entry draft's coming up in the next couple of weeks, so that could change. But, uh, you know, especially for a team that's in the cap situation they are right now, having a young guy that can come in can – break camp on the NHL roster, potentially making under a million bucks and potentially provide some of that offensive push is something this organization really needs and potentially wouldn't have had, had they not been able to sign Kuzmenko. I think comfortable is a really uh, dangerous word in in sports in any business. And if, if, if everybody's a little too comfortable, especially if you're in a losing situation like the Canucks, that can't be good. Um, you know, we've heard it from all the successful organizations in the past, inner competition, competition from within. You want people to push other people. And if somebody's underproducing, but they're not getting pushed, well, you know, what's going to happen is that they're not going to they'll continue not to produce like human nature will set in. And I mean, at least at the very least, there's the risk of that. That can't be good. So this is a good sign that they've gone out and signed somebody who's relatively young who might provide some push, might get into that, into that top six. We'll see. Well, and the, the really interesting part about what's going on now is what's, what is next? And maybe it's too easy to say this move is going to allow something else to happen. But we know something else is going to happen one way or another coming up next. And what do you think that's going to be? Is it going to be a signing? Is it going to be a trade once the cup final ends? I mean, I think we're all kind of really interested to see what happens after this now. Well, I keep going back to the, you know um, cap space and yeah. that, how the how they need more. I I, I would um, I, gosh, I, guys, I, 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 my memory's not serving me well right here. I think it was Frank Cervelli who wrote an article on the uh, top ten uh, candidates for buyouts, and Jason Dickinson was number five on the list. And I, I would think that's a move that you know you can make that doesn't involve other teams, mm-hmm. so it's a little less cumbersome. That 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 would be something that I would look for. A little more cap space. 
able to, um, and, and the penalty is not great, at least not in the first year. And then it gets a little bit better. I think second year is pretty punitive and then it gets um, a little better after that. So I, I would look for something like that where you don't have to involve another team. Uh, and then, and, and then after that, uh, who knows, uh, uh, you know, with it, we're, get, we're just getting to know Jim Rutherford and Patrick Calvin. I still don't have a complete read on them. The only thing I know is that Jim Rutherford has been very bold in the past with both Carolina and Pittsburgh. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a trade. Well, and it'll be interesting to see if the Kuzmenko signing makes them feel like maybe they can move off a winger. You know, we were talking yeah. about uh, Tanner Pearson and Connor Garland potentially as options there. If the Canucks can carve out some cap space here one way or another, you know, when you look at this roster, Donnie, what area do you think they need to address the most in terms of, okay, maybe we get some cap space, we ship some guys out. Where does this roster need to improve the most? Well, defense, and you know that there's a, such a problem there. In that, the, the obvious you want right-handed defensemen. They've got Oliver Lekman, Larson, and Quinn Hughes on the left side. Great. Uh, you know they're they're right-handed defensemen. It, it's and all due respect to everybody. I'm a big Burroughs fan. Kyle Burroughs, no question about it. The guy you might start with is Tyler Myers, but you know at six million dollars a year, he might be their he's their best right-handed defenseman. So like yeah, you, you could sit <laughs> yeah. there and say, oh yeah, easy to get you know get rid of him, no problem. Yeah, well, who's left? Mm-hmm. So unless you replace it with someone else, uh, uh, that that that's pretty tough. That, that that I think number one, it has to be the defense that has to be uh, addressed, and then you go from there. And you mentioned Tanner Pearson. It's funny, you know, he's one of these guys that you, you don't. He's not flashy. Uh, I, I like the, I like his heavy game and all of that, but coaches love him. Like they they play yeah. they 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 love the guy as much as you look at his game and again it's not flashy it doesn't stick out you know fairly productive you might expect a little bit more but the, the coaches clearly like the guy so I wonder what Bruce Boudreau would have to say about that well I'm really interested to see what happens with a guy like Connor Garland just role wise and let's just say for instance he stays we start looking at the roster let let's say they don't trade anybody Donnie I mean you have Garland Pedersen Putkolzin Pearson Miller Besser Kuzmenko Horvat Hoaglander. I mean, that top nine looks okay on paper, and that's not going to be the top nine when the season begins. But when we start looking at, okay, who can be impacted by this or whose role can be kind of taken up, I kind of look at it and I say, well, I mean, Pearson kills penalties. So if you're looking at how he plays, they like his, you know, strong play along the boards as well. He can do different things. Garland doesn't play on special teams. I mean, I keep looking at the roster and saying, I mean, how does Carner Garland fit into all this if you have the same forward group? Like, does he? where does he get the ice time? And yeah, is it worth having it, a third liner making $5 million? Yeah, yeah. But then you look at Hoaglander and, you know, yeah. you know, falling out of favor uh, to some extent. So m- maybe him. Um, but Pearson's got the bigger uh, price tag. Uh, probably Garland's got the bigger price tag. So you'd have to think he'd be a target. Uh, even though Kuzmenko's a left wing, if I'm not mistaken, versus uh, mm-hmm. Garland on the right side. So, yeah, I think those two would be t- uh, Hoglander, but he's not going to save you as much as as Garland. So yeah. anything's possible. And, and look, if a deal gets made, then it all goes out the window. And they've got some new pieces to play with. So I, c- I could see that happen, definitely. As we turn our attention, Donnie, to the, the games that are still being played in Game 3 of the Stanley Cup final tonight. First of all, how surprised were you by the way game two played out? And what do you think we should expect in terms of a pushback from the Lightning tonight? 
I, I just don't know a prouder team than the Tampa Bay Lightning. If there's been a prouder team and a you know, more effective team over the last, what, five, ten years than Tampa Bay. And they had to be thinking, because it, Colorado was going for it when it was 7 nothing. And that now you're back home in, in Tampa Bay. If you're, if you're the Lightning, you know you've come back against the Leafs. Uh, you've come back against the Rangers down 0-2. And there's still a whole lot there with, with Tampa Bay. Um, I, I, I just, I'll have a hard time believing they, will, they won't put up their best effort tonight. And I would predict a win tonight for Tampa Bay. I just think they'll be so pissed off that they'll come through, come through tonight, and I just can't can't see Vasilevsky performing that poorly, you know, two three games in a row. So, I, I if it was any other team, I'd say, man, Colorado has looked so good in the first two games. There's no way they're going to win. But if there was any team, I was going to say they'll come through. It'd be Tampa Bay tonight. Is there a player so far through these first two games you've been most impressed by? I mean, we, we, the obvious one is McCarr and McKinnon, but I know Nichuskin's getting a love right now. But is there a player that has impressed you a lot so far? It's hard to, you know, look past McCarr. My God. Yeah. I mean, like when you have people, and I know that's the obvious choice, guys, and I apologize for that. No, that's fine. But I can't, I, I can't, I, I can't get this out of my head. A week or two ago, Kevin Biaksa. You know, Kelly Rudy, uh, Elliot Friedman on the Hockey Night in Canada paddle were, were all in agreement that McCarr is, or at the very least may very well be, the best NHL defenseman since Bobby Orr. <laughs> He's barely played. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of agree. Like, he, he just, he is so good with the puck and his lateral movement and he just blows by guys that he's smart and he's really good defensively too. And Kevin has had quite a few uh, clips showing just what he does with his angles and what he does along the boards and his stick. And he's just really, really good. And I know, you know, we're talking about, you know, Bobby Orr who did the impossible and, you know, won Art Ross trophies twice as a defenseman and um, a million Norris's, but I, I, I kind of, I got to agree with him. I just, I, I just, you know, it's one. He's one of those players. Like, like he makes me watch a game the way McDavid, McDavid makes me watch a game. Like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Yeah, and I feel that way with with McDavid. I, I kind of feel that way with McCarr. And for those people who know a lot more about uh, hockey, well, maybe not Elliot, but um, know a lot more about <laughs> hockey than I do, <laughs> to say that guys who played in the NHL, you know, a guy like Kelly who's a little bit older who would have remembered Bobby Orr. Like that's just something for the and, and everybody's in agreement because usually you'd have somebody going, "Oh, you're crazy, you're an idiot." Everybody talks about the next Bob Yor. Heck, in this city, Dale Talon was the next Bob Yor. That didn't work out. Uh, you know, it's, I just can't get that out of my head, and I I, I agree with them. I think I think they're right. Well, and you know, even in this market where people love Quinn Hughes and he's been such a big part oh, of beautiful. You know, yep. this organization over the last couple of years, still you can't deny if you're looking at the two of them, you know, Makar's on another planet right now, isn't he? Oh, it's just it's it's spectacular watching, you know, um how the teams that have played them are so worried, you know, you know, um, so worried. In particular, Edmonton with McDavid, they're so worried mm-hmm. about not just Makar, but the kid from Abbotsford, Devin Taves, and that that defense pairing, and they just don't know what to do against them. I mean, it's uh, just such a great, great compliment. And you know, maybe maybe that's where I go if you had to talk about somebody who's who mm-hmm. who is really coming into his own, other than the obvious Makar McKinnon. That it'd be, it'd be Devin Taves. 
Yeah. Devontae. Sorry. I, I, I got to get that right. It is Devon Taves. He was named after Devon White, former Blue Jay. So I can't forget that. Yeah, former Blue Jay and former Expo. Yeah. Yeah. You like them better as an Expo, right? Well, I'm more of an Expo fan. I still am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're coming back. They are. They are. I mean, so what happens, what happens first? Uh, the Expos come back full time or we get another Canadian hockey team? Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, so we'll be talking about Quebec there. Yeah, or there's Toronto. Prop- yeah, yeah. There's been poor, uh, uh, there's been more rumblings. Yeah, right. It could be Toronto. Could it? Uh, I, I, you know, we've had recent rumblings about the Expo. I, 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 I'll, I'll say Expo just because I, I would want to see that almost as much. And I just I just love loved the hats, love the uniforms, loved everything. Um, I still do. Yeah, best colors. Doesn't get much better than that. Hey, uh, yeah. great stuff as always, Donnie. We appreciate your time, and we look forward to seeing you and uh, Rick right back at it with Donnie and Dolly on Check TV at 10 a.m. Yes, tomorrow. we'll have the outdated scoop on Andre Kuzmenko <laughs> tomorrow at 10. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Thanks, Always Don. fun, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Donnie. You got it. That, that is Don Taylor. Uh, always a pleasure getting him on the show. And it has been Andre Kuzmenko Day, and we'll talk more about Andre Kuzmenko. Get a full scouting report from Dylan Griffin from, from EP Ringside coming up in the last segment of the show before we get you to Game 3 of the Cup Final. But we were talking about the Stanley Cup Finals, so let's take a quick look at some of the betting lines. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. And we talked about the money line with Colorado being favored to win this game. Uh, sorry, with... Um, the Tampa Bay Lightning being favored to win at home tonight. But to win the series, well, it's still very much Colorado's. 1.16 is Colorado's odds to win the series, so not a lot of juice at all. And 5.5 to 1 on Tampa to win the series now that they're down to buzz. But taking a look at the Con Smythe um, odds, it's really fascinating because we were just talking to Donnie about Kale McCarr. He is now the runaway leader, odds-on favorite to win the Consmite Trophy, and there is almost no juice on it, on it at all. 1.5 to pick Kale McCarr. <laughs> at this point, I mean, if Colorado wins, the only way McCarr doesn't get it is if he just stops playing. And somehow, some way, somebody else is overly impressive, like Nathan McKinnon going ham. Yeah, well, it, and it shows already, you know, uh, I was thinking about it after Donnie said it and, and talked about it. Can we remember a defenseman that has been this dominant this early in his career? You know, since Bobby Orr, I, I, I honestly, like, maybe you'd talk about a guy like Paul Coffey in the eighties and into the nineties, but man, the, the fact that he's already such a special player that, you know, he's already uh, going to likely win the Norris trophy uh, potentially the Conn Smythe Trophy and a Stanley Cup and be a huge key contributor in that Stanley Cup win if the Avalanche can get it across the finish line at such a young age. Um, you know, it, it's fantastic and it's going to be, you know, really enjoyable to watch his career continue to develop because that's the crazy thing, Sat, is he's only going to get better yeah. than this, which doesn't seem like it's possible with the way he's playing. And yet uh, that's what we're you know, going to be able to look forward to in the years to come. Well, it is the golden age of young defensemen in the National Hockey League now. You have Kale McCarr, you have guys like Adam Fox. We see Quinn Hughes here in Vancouver as well. I mean, Muir Heiskanen doing his thing. And, you know, right now, McCarr is in, in a class of his own, well above all those other ones. And there's maybe a couple of tears with the guys we've we've just mentioned. But uh, we'll see if the Tampa Bay Lightning can get back into it here tonight, being down to buzz. 
against the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup final. All right, we'll continue the conversation on Andre Kuzmenko, a full scouting report. That's coming up right here on Canuck Central. Back in on Canuck Central, final segment of the show, and this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. It is Satyar Shaw with Brendan Batchelor. We are going to be joined by Dylan Griffin from EP Ringside to break down the Andre Kuzmenko signing and get a full scouting report on the left winger, the Canucks signed today, 26-year-old Batch. So um, we've heard a lot about his game. I am really curious to hear what Dylan has to say. And he had a really comprehensive write-up in EP Ringside about Kuzmenko. And when you read that uh, article, you come away feeling pretty optimistic about what Kuzmenko could bring. Yeah, certainly from a from an offensive side of things uh, and a transition side of things, you know, we'll let Dylan talk about this a little bit more when he joins us in a second. But uh, it seems like there's a lot to like there. I'll be interested to get his thoughts on Kuzmenko's defensive game and how that might translate to the NHL and, and particularly under a head coach like Bruce Boudreau. But, uh, you know, as we've talked about throughout the show, it's it's an exciting signing either way. And uh, he's a guy that will have a lot of focus on him going into training camp in the beginning of the season. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at will a Canucks ability or inability to create a ton of offense off the rush, that's something that, you know, Kuzmenko could in theory bring with his transition game. But obviously it all comes down to how he adjusts his game to playing on North American ice. So to discuss that and more, let's welcome in Dylan Griffin into the conversation. Make sure to follow uh, Dylan on Twitter, also courtesy of EP Ringside. And Dylan, uh, thanks for joining us today, man. And you've been uh, scouting Andre Kuzmenko extensively. You've been kind of curious, waiting to see where he lands as well, haven't you? Oh, yeah. He's been a guy I've been looking at for the past few years now every year i'm thinking this is the year he finally he finally comes over <laughs> and every year i've been disappointed but now he's finally making the move and I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do well and you know is the biggest question there's so many questions to, to ask about him but is the biggest question simply come down to how he will adjust to playing on north american ice because he has a lot of skills that could translate just on the basis of its own yeah absolutely i think the the gap between khl and nhl is how you know, how they play defense in both leagues. It's not really comparable. Um, you know, people can talk about how close, like the KHL is like the second highest level of hockey behind the NHL, but it's not particularly like <laughs> going to be like competing with the NHL anytime soon. And that's just because of the skill gap between the two leagues. And so it's just going to be coming down to how he can handle the defenders who are a bit more physical, who kind of want to play closer to the crease throw the body around he's not a huge player he does get beat physically um so it's gonna be something that's gonna be probably the toughest thing for him to adjust to is just the physicality of this league compared to the khl where it's kind of a bit more lenient you get a little more freedom to kind of do whatever you want a little bit uh nhl defenders don't allow that well and with the puck too uh you know, in the NHL, you don't have a ton of time and space because of the smaller ice and, and, as you allude to, the higher level of play. What are some of the things in his game that lead you to believe that, you know, at least with the puck, he might be able to transition to, you know, having success even with a reduced amount of time to make plays? 
Yeah, I think that uh, when he does have the puck and he's facing pressure, like face-to-face, he is really good at escaping those situations, uh, just waiting out his passes for like that last second to you know give his teammates a little bit more time to move around, find that pass, or if he needs to use his hands, he does have a ton of skill. So he can get around guys like that. But once he through his passing, uh, just really bring the, the defender towards him, letting the play up around him you know, sort itself out. And he knows exactly what's going on. Uh, so he, he's just a really smart player. He's really good at getting out of those tight situations. Um, maybe the physicality is will get, get to him at times, but I don't foresee it being something that really hinders his offensive game. No, and one of the things that could work well, especially with how Vancouver plays, is how he likes to play behind the net. And something the Canucks like to do under Boudreaux is play b- b- below the hash marks a lot, be more active down low and cycle the puck. And in, in theory, he could really shine in that type of system, right? Yeah, for sure. A ton of his offense is coming from behind the net in the KHL, uh, which, is, depending on how you look at it, is either a really good thing or something that to be worried about. And which, again, everything kind of goes back to the physicality with him. Uh, he doesn't get challenged too hard behind the net in the KHL. NHL defenders will probably get to him a little bit quicker. Um, but just the vision from behind the net, he's such a good playmaker from back there. He's always looking to make the highest danger plays. He's never forcing anything. Uh, he has to just throw the puck into the crease and hope that it bounces its way in. He's looking for those players moving, cutting to the net, uh, always scanning. He knows what to do, when to do it. And again, he brings that skill in. He's just a really deceptive player from back there. He'll be really effective if they give him that role. Uh, just throw him back there. Hope you can find anybody uh, and, you know, create goals. Well, one of the things you mentioned as well from a, a defensive side of things in your article, which we encourage everyone to go and read on eprinkside.com about Kuzmenko, uh, is is the back check. And, you know, that it might be part of the KHL style of game, but maybe the back check isn't, uh, isn't the biggest strength in his game. As he comes over to the NHL and more will be expected of him in that role, do you see some things in, you know, some of the habits that, that he shows with his work ethic or things like that that lead you to believe that that's an area of his game that he could improve? Or at 26 years old, do you think he might just be what he is in terms of a defensive player uh, and might just have to more subtly adapt his game to the NHL? I think that what he does, like, he can read plays really well. He's just not very proactive uh, right now in the KHL. Um, he has speed. Like, his feet move so fast, and he is constantly looking around him. He knows how plays are developing. He just isn't kind of attacking those plays, uh, and it kind of makes him just – he sort of just sits at the top of the zone waiting for the breakout rather than moving around trying to make things happen in the defensive zone. Um, but what, like, what the tools that he has available, the speed, the vision, uh, just how smart he is in general, uh, I can see him becoming uh, not like a exceptional defender or anything like that. But he can definitely, you know, hold his own. He, I don't think he'll be so uh, like willing to just kind of cherry pick as much as he does right now. I think he'll put in a bit more effort. Uh, I don't see any like major issues hindering him. It's just the lack of going out there and making plays. And I think that's the big thing to determine. Do you have the hockey sense to figure those sort of things out? And if you do, you can do those things. And, you know, you can outline he does seem like a very smart player. What stands out to you with his decision-making? Is it his processing speed? I mean, he's a pretty quick and shifty player, but it seems like he makes decisions even faster than he moves. 
Yeah, absolutely. He's, a, he's not always looking to just, you know, move up the ice as fast as he can. Uh, he's very calculated. Um, he, he is looking always to make a pass first. Uh, he's not like a puck, puck hog like we see a lot of skilled players, European players. Uh, they kind of just want to do everything themselves. Uh, he's a very team-oriented player. So it's just always looking around, always scanning. Uh, he's really good at getting off the boards with his passing, uh, always looking to cut inside and towards the net. He wants, like I said, every single pass, one of his passes, he wants that to lead directly to an attack, directly to the highest dangerous chance he can get. So it's always looking for who's going to be the guy who's going to be in that position. Uh, he's not really much of a pure finisher himself, so it's typically looking for the pass before the shot for him. Uh, so, But he he can still move in, take the shot, and he has a pretty decent shot on him, but it's all through that passing, just always looking around in the past, what sort of a role has he played in terms of special teams? Because there's been a lot of talk here about whether he's going to fit in on the Canucks power play. Uh, is he a guy that's able to use his shot to score goals on the man advantage? Has he played the net front? What can fans maybe expect in terms of his tool set and how he might be able to apply it to any power play opportunities he might have here in Vancouver? Uh, from what I've seen of him, he's mostly been playing either in like the behind-the-net role uh, kind of what he does at 5v5, just playing a, a similar game to that. Uh, but he can move around. Uh, he puts himself in the, any position he can to either take the shot or be able to move the puck to someone else. And for them to take the shot, I don't really think that he's going to be a trigger man uh, for the power play or anything like that. Um, but he can move into any kind of position you need him to, which is really valuable. Uh, it's just because he's always looking to make that pass. You can put him at the point even. He'll, he'll just stuff him up there. You can put him in the bumper. Uh, I haven't really seen a real weakness from him on the power play, and it's just all through that the puck moving ability. So quick and efficient with it, you never really have to worry about uh, what he's going to do with the puck. He he already knows what the play is developing, and he can make the move from there. We're in conversation with Dylan Griffin, EP Ringside. Make sure to follow Dylan on Twitter at Griffin Dylan. And uh, you know, before we let you go, let's shift our sights a little bit to the 2022 NHL Entry Draft. And I know uh, the EP Ringside Draft Guide is out too, and that's always a must-read for for hockey fans. And with this being so close to the draft now, you guys have done all your rankings, you've done all your evaluation. What are you looking for the most now? Are you just simply trying to figure out what teams are going to do now that you've done all your calculations and all your um, assessments? A little bit, yeah. It's kind of just that feeling out process now. What, like, who's looking for what? Uh, obviously, I cover Russia, so I'm kind of like the most in the dark here about what's going to happen. Obviously, there's this whole like the Russian factor has returned to the draft, so trying to figure out where kind of my region of players is going to go is just about impossible right now. So I'm mostly just feeling out where the rest of the crop is going to be heading out. You mentioned the Russian players, and, and this is what I find so fascinating about this year's draft because of everything else going on and then the thought, talk of some teams being reluctant to draft these Russian players, especially high in the draft. And if we see teams that aren't going to be reluctant to do that, how much value could get mined from this Russian pool, especially in that late first round, second round range this year, maybe even the third round? Uh, yeah, there's guys like uh, the main guy I like is uh, Gleb Trikasov this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy who I see in my rankings. I have him very high, which is kind of against the consensus. But he's a guy that's going to be going probably third, fourth round, and he's easily at least a top two round talent. Mm-hmm. 
and then there's obviously players like Ivan Marushchenko, who uh, obviously there's the Russian factor with him, and then he did uh, have the illness. So that's kind of another thing where it's, you know, serious the health the health concerns are. Um, but as for the crop in general, it's relatively weak. Um, there's some guys I like, like Vladimir Grudinin, small defenseman, who's not going to go until very late, uh, that, from my understanding. So uh, there's definitely going to be some more steals than usual. Uh, we always see kind of a lot of European players fall uh, to late rounds, but this year especially, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch who's, who's who gets who in the later rounds. Yeah, it certainly will be. We can't wait for the draft to come around, too, with Canucks having a pick this year after trading the pick the past couple of years. Dylan, uh, always a pleasure, man. We appreciate your time, and thanks for uh, your insight into Andre Kuzmenko, and we make sure our listeners go and check out your stuff on EP Ringside. Thanks for having me on. Ah, thank you. Thanks, Dylan. That is Dylan Griffin from EP Ringside. And, you know, we're talking about the draft and the Russian factor this year and how much those guys could slide potentially. Just because... Andre Kuzmenko is a Russian free agent the Canucks signed to a very cheap one-year flyer. Doesn't mean the Canucks have no trepidations when it comes to potentially drafting Russian players. One does not equal the other as far as situation and circumstance. However, I would say the Canucks' dogged pursuit in going after um, uh, Andre Kuzmenko may give a bit of an indication that the Canucks are probably not going to be a team that's going to be reluctant to draft a Russian player if that player is the best one available. Well, yeah, and the interesting part about it to me, uh, you know, if I try to put myself in their shoes, is what's the situation going to be like in terms of team control right away? Like, of course, yeah. we saw the Canucks, uh, you know, draft Pod Colson a few years ago, but he was still under contract in the KHL, uh, so they weren't able to get him over here right away. To me, with all of the uncertainty with regards to the war between Russia and Ukraine and everything that's happening in that part of the world. If I'm drafting a player uh, from, from any of those countries, Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, I want to know that I can ensure that that player can have uh, an opportunity to play in North America next season, because uh, you know, what's going to happen with some of those leagues is certainly up in the air. Uh, you know, what's happening on a, uh, on a world scale is, is up in the air too, you know, regardless of, of hockey. So, you know, that, that to me would be the biggest factor that I would be looking at. If there's a Russian player that sits at a spot where you think you might be able to get them is, you know, is there a scenario where they can be playing in the CHL next season if for whatever reason, you know, the, the schedule doesn't proceed as planned in Russia um, because of because of world events right now. You know, you don't want to draft a player and then have them in a situation where they're not playing or they're playing limited games or or whatever it might be because of because of the the greater world scenario right now. So it's something that teams are going to have to tiptoe around very carefully, but you know, as Dylan kind of alludes to there, the, the flip side of that is if you're one of those teams that is willing to go after a player that maybe other teams are shying away from because, uh, you know, he's a Russian and, and there's uncertainty there, it is also an opportunity to potentially find some hidden gems too if you can uh, take advantage of an opportunity to draft a player that other teams aren't willing to look at. Well, and, you know, the, the thing about that is there's a reason sometimes teams are reluctant to do so, but when it comes to the draft anyways, 
it might take two or three years for a guy to figure things out or come over anyways, right? And as far as development goes and as far as, you know, geopolitical issues go, things can change in the next six months to a year to two years. And it can, be a, diff- it can be a completely different landscape. So I don't think they should be too concerned about those things if a player really is there. And I can't say with any certainty that they're not going to be concerned or they're going to take whoever's there. But my guess would be that they're not going to be as concerned as some teams will be. Because we've spoken to a lot of draft analysts that, you know, and Scott Wheeler was on our show last week from The Athletic, and he said he wouldn't be surprised if a third of the teams in the league just just going to punt on drafting Russian players. And even in a year where the crop of players coming from Russia may not be as strong as previous years, for a team like Vancouver that doesn't have a pick in the second round but has a pick in the third round, could it be an avenue for you to find a guy in that third round range? And he kind of mentioned a couple of players that might be there. That might be really, really good value for a team that may not be afraid to take that kind of a flyer. Well, yeah, and, you know, you're right. You know, aside from the geopolitical issues, that are going to impact this draft and are impacting sports and the world as a whole right now. If you're the Canucks, and, you know, I alluded to this earlier when we were talking about this with Donnie, that, um, you know, Kuzmenko comes in and and helps a, a prospect crop that doesn't have a lot going for it right now in terms of how bare the cupboards are. If you can mine value in any way, shape, or form out of this draft, you have to look at it if you're the Canucks. So if that means taking a Russian player that other teams have shied away from because you feel that, you know, he's the best player available or you're getting him, you know, at a lower spot than uh, he might have gone otherwise, then, you know, with the situation the Canucks are in right now, with the lack of players they have pushing from underneath, you've got to take those opportunities. It'll just be interesting to see uh, whether management of the organization feel the same way. You're right. It's clear with the Kuzmenko signing that they maybe aren't as shy about drafting a Russian player as other teams might be. But, uh, you know, that's going to be one of the more interesting elements of the draft to watch this year is Mm -hmm. where teams are able to mine value if they're not afraid to take players from Russia and Belarus. Well, and we'll see what happens with the Canucks heading into the NHL entry draft. Right now, they don't have a second round pick. Does that change? Does something happen as far as trades are concerned? And, you know, we talked to Donnie about that as well. And if you start looking at what the Canucks may do next, is maybe a trade the most likely thing that happens? I mean, they're not going to be signing any free agents until after the NHL draft. If you had to guess, and I'm not putting you on the spot here, Batch, we're just having fun, nothing too serious, <laughs> but just, just on the spot, and I'll give my, my guess here first before I come to you, but out of a signing, a trade, or a draft pick, what is the next Canucks move that happens? And I'd probably say it's a trade. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just because there's been so much emphasis on freeing up cap space, uh, you know, I guess it's possible that we go all the way till pick number 15 in the first round before the Canucks do anything. But I would imagine that uh, they want to be active, just like the fan base has been, you know, itching for this group to make some moves and, and, you know, put their stamp on this team. I'm sure management is in absolutely the same Mm -hmm. sort of mind frame that, um, you know, they've now had their time uh, seven months, I guess it is now since Jim Rutherford came in, um, you know, to, to evaluate the organization, evaluate what they've got both at the NHL level in Abbotsford, in their prospect pool, I would imagine they have a very clear idea now of what they want to accomplish here in the next month. 
And it wouldn't surprise me at all if they move very quickly to set themselves up the way they want to, uh, whether it be with a trade. You know, I guess it's possible that there there may be some more European free agents they've got their eye on that they might sign between now and then. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think mm-hmm. a trade is probably the most likely avenue. Yeah, I'd say so too. And we'll see. Now, not like entry level contract signings, notwithstanding, I don't include those because, hey, they don't move the needle that much, but they're still very <laughs> important uh, additions to the team, of course, right? And, you know, maybe you see a guy like Matthew Highmore or Yuho Lamical get ahead of things and, and sign a cheap contract before uh, those things happen. But, it kind of lines up this way because you look at what the Canucks have done so far. They moved Hamannick out. They brought Travis Dermott in. So now when you look at the back end, even though Jack Rathbone hasn't signed his contract, you have six guys on the contract next year. Hughes, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, Tyler Myers, Travis Dermott, Luke Shen, and Kyle Burrows. And I'm not, you know, so those are the guys you have under contract for next season. That's six defensemen. So you have a little bit of cover on your back end already if you want to do something. Up top now, and adding Andre Kuzmenko, we talked about what the Canucks' top nine as it stands looks like. You have Garland, Pedersen, Petkolzin, Pearson, Miller, Besser, Kuzmenko, Horvat, Hoaglander. So now you have these nine forwards in your top nine set. You have six defensemen signed a contract. You have a little bit of cover. That doesn't mean you're going to go out and make a ton of trades. But if you do subtract somebody, you can at least pencil somebody else in. And when you're building teams out and managing these sort of things, Batch, that does matter. And now that you've had a couple of guys holding on to kind of spots, even if they're placeholders for the time being, it does make it a little bit easier to make things happen, especially when you consider Tucker Pullman, who you added, who you just texted me about, who I didn't mention, who's on IR. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So th- so there are uh, seven. There are 70 there as yeah. well, which, you know, the Canucks and the way things go with their blue line, they need like 15 of them to get through a season, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, you, you have the framework of, of your roster there, and it's just sort of about how much you're going to tweak it right? Like how are you going to move a defenseman out to try and free up cap space? Whether you can make an Ekman Larson trade is Myers a player you're willing to move out. Uh, You know, we've already talked quite a lot in light of the Kuzmenko signing uh, on this show today about, you know, what does this mean for Tanner Pearson or Connor Garland? You know, there are the perpetual questions about JT Miller and some of the Canucks key players. Um, you know, certainly if they're in that room themselves having those conversations, they're going to have a much better idea of the players that they're looking to move out, the cap space they might have, and the holes they're going to need to fill. Um, so it's it, it's kind of hard to predict how things are going to go because I would imagine that uh, – and you know, how they're able to do that, how effectively they're able to create some cap space is really going to dictate mm-hmm. how how much they can do overall in this offseason. If they can't find a way to free out cap space, then there aren't many moves they have available to them. So that, that's got to be priority number one for them, as we've heard for months and months since this management group took over. Well, everything they've said they're, they're going to do, they have already shown that they're going to do. You know, and they're not going to let somebody walk as a free agent for nothing, and they traded Tyler Mott. They're trying to get younger, create cap space, and be aggressive with, with European free agents. They've done all those things. Now it comes to the next step of it, and we're all very curious to see what the Canucks do next. But Batch, always a pleasure getting you on Canuck Central. We appreciate you pinch-hitting for Dan Riccio, and uh, I'm sure you'll make an appearance on Canuck Central very soon again. Yeah, I'll be back the next time there's big Canucks news because <laughs> inevitably Reach will have the day off again. So. Uh, fantastic. Thanks for having me. We love it. Uh, that is Brendan Batchelor. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. We thank him for filling in on Riccio's spot here on Connect Central. For 
our producer, Josh Elliott Wolf, Ben Turn as well. This has been Canuck Central. I'm Satyar Shah. We look forward to being back with you again tomorrow right here on Sportsnet 650.